Okay, are you all ready? <clears throat> I am. Are you ready, Bobby? I'm here just to hang out and make fun of y'all. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. Uh, We hope to share a lot of great information, have a little bit of fun along the way. And um, today I am joined by, as always, uh, Chris Boyer on the other side of the microphone. Chris is a digital strategist, social media expert, and um, about to no longer be a single guy. (laughs) And we can talk more about that. Uh, But you can find Chris online at ChristopherBoyer.com, at Chris Boyer on all the fancy social media channels. Uh, Chris, how's it going? Pretty good, Reed. Um, nice to uh, have you there on the other side of the mic. That's Reed Smith. Reed is a digital marketing strategist, social media expert, and he works with hospitals and health systems all around the country. He can also be found at all of those social channels with his handle at Reed Smith and his website, socialhealthinstitute.com. And Reed, we have someone else that's joining us today, right? Yes, for the first time in the long, illustrious history of Touchpoint, the podcast, uh, we have a third member on the show today, and not as just the Ask the Expert section. We'll be here throughout my good friend and business partner at the Social Health Institute, Bobby Ratu. Bobby, you can find online at bobbyratu.com. That's R-E-T-T-E-W. Uh, at Bobby Ratu on all the all the uh, fancy social media channels, and of course we'll have links to the show notes and all that kind of good stuff. How's it going, man? What's up? I'm just here hanging out, enjoying my Clemson Tigers, hoping I'm going to be able to make fun of y'all this afternoon. <laughs> have a good time. <laughs> this episode of Touchpoint is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Transparently. Transparently is the nation's fastest growing platform for gathering and publishing physician star ratings and reviews. You can visit transparently.com to learn why the country's most innovative health systems are choosing them to power a better digital patient experience. Again, to learn more, visit them online at transparently.com. Yeah, yeah, here we are. And so the reason Bobby's here, and we thought it'd be kind of fun to do, is I just kind of worked out, uh, Chris and I have talked a number of times about doing uh, a show where we just kind of review some different things, and and we found a particular article of interest that makes a lot of sense um, to, to, to kind of go down this path with. So here recently, I don't know about you guys, but here recently I've been in a number of meetings and a number of phone calls as people are planning for 2018. So my thought was, um, well, what does that mean? You know, I, obviously there's media buying and, you know, different things that, you know, sponsorship opportunities and all that. But it got me thinking about what, what are those emerging trends? What are different things you need to be looking at as you kind of visualize uh, what next year's plans look like, whether you're on a you know, January 1 start or not. Uh, we just thought that was a good uh, good jumping off point. A lot of times when people plan for 2018, a lot of that is tactical planning. They're planning execution. They're looking at like sort of their editorial calendars and stuff like that. The article that you surface has a lot of good strategic uh, areas where we could talk about some emerging trends. We could kind of look at what's, you know, what might be relevant next year, but also relevant for the years thereafter. So really like this article, and I think it's going to be a really good conversation. You know, we're always sitting here trying to figure out what everybody's going to do next year. We're always trying to part, be a part of that budget discussion. And uh, as a content person, I love being a part of it because many healthcare organizations like to jump right into media buy. And I always talk about investing in resources and content and strategy. So it'll be interesting to see as we talk through a lot of this stuff. Cool. And I think that dovetails nicely. So again, we'll have uh, you know a link to the article in the show notes so you can uh, dig into this a little bit more or even click on some of the links they have within their article. Uh, but it is from a website uh, called smartinsights.com. And this is the emerging trends you need to integrate into your 2018 plan. So again, we're not saying that you need to integrate these necessarily, but we'll talk through these and see which ones of these make sense. You know, for everybody, some people, you know, some sort of an evaluation process that needs to happen in there. So seven points. Um, 
Jumping in, number one, master micro moments. I don't know that I've even heard the term micro moments before. Have you guys? Oh, really? Yeah, I'm familiar with micro moments. Am I behind the times on micro moments? Google came up with a term, I do believe, on their Think with Google blog. And there's a link here that, you know, in, in, the, in the article. So we'll link to that. That links to the article. But it basically talks about all the different ways that um, cu- uh, people that are using their mobile phone, their mobile device, and at that particular nexus when their need is met with the right content online. So, for example, in healthcare, you're looking for a doctor. Maybe you want to you know, make an appointment for a doctor. And you pull up your phone and you say, I'm looking for a family practice doctor. What Google does on the micro moment kind of um, concept is, first of all, it understands that um, this concept of being near you, like that you're searching on mobile, so it's going to re- pull information together that's closest to you. And then it's going to share with yeah. you content that's like a map maybe um, you know addresses and even um, even reviews and stuff like that because they believe in that micro moment you're selecting a doctor does that make sense yeah yeah so I mean it's just more contextual in nature versus uh, again Google knowing too much about you I guess including where you're physically standing um, so how you know so what does that mean for hospitals well I think one thing that's interesting here is I'm gonna take it from my journalistic background So for many years, we were kind of trained to uh, consume content in a linear fashion. We would watch a video, and the only way that we could consume it is if we sat down and watched the whole thing from beginning to end, 60 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we watch a show, whatever it may be. You know, we watch a movie. Now um, organizations are getting smart because they realize that there's no need to give people the complete narrative. Why not trickle out content on a consistent basis over time to create a larger narrative in micro moments? And it allows kind of this uh, kind of this trickle down or, you know, dripping methodology of dripping content over a period of time to engage people and to track their engagement and see how much they're interested. And so I think hospitals are really starting to catch on to this, specifically on larger systems, because they realize that their audience bases are so wide, you know. We talk about you know millennial, millennial moms right now as the the major touch point, but you know there's so many other people out there when you look at other um, uh, um, acuities, and so they know that they've got to touch people in a way that is very much in time. And so if you think about, I love the video from Gary Vee where he talks about how you have to deliver content in a way that as you're scrolling through your phone. How can it jump out and get away from all the noise? What makes you stop and catch something? And these micro moments is exactly what hospitals are having to shift through, shift to, because they realize that people don't have 60 minutes to watch something. They have two and three moments. And so little pieces of something to get them into the funnel is becoming more attractive, and they can track it a lot more. You know, and Google's doubling down on this whole concept of these micro moments by taking more and more of these different types of real estate blocks on your on your search browsers. And you see that on mobile. You see that also on desktops now. Now you have all these different fields and where they're scraping content onto these to the, the search engine results for the mere fact of trying to capture people's attention and, and bring them to the right information. I mean, obviously, it's all about getting the right information to the right people at the right time. But from Google's perspective, it's also keeping them on Google's properties. Which I think is kind of hard for us as advisors or strategic individuals that are helping guide our hospitals down a path. You know, you walk into a strategy meeting and they want to go bite off on the new toy and you're not sure if the new toy actually has um, something vi- viable to work with it. And so do you play Google's game or do you jump on other things to check it out when you try to start trickling out content? And so Google's becoming very powerful. And it is, it's hard not to go away from a lot of the platform opportunities, you know, within YouTube and all these other places that they're delivering content. I guess when we look at these micro moments or our technologies that we have in place, like our CMS and, you know, different things like that, um, are we smart enough? Do we have enough stuff in place to actually capitalize on this? Well, I think from a content perspective, I used to say, and I think I, I think we even mentioned this in a couple of episodes ago too, Reed, where when, um, when we put content onto a website, 
50% of that content is actually visible to the people that are viewing the website. The other 50% has to be instructional to tell your content management system, you know, how this content relates contextually with everything else to draw those interlinks mm -hmm. that you need, et cetera. But part of that is also putting in that, that markup language so that now Google and other search engines can easily get to that right information and pull that information to that right block of content to capture that micro moment. So what I would say is maybe a few people or a few organizations are doing this or taking advantage of this, but this certainly has to become more and more something that we have to be uh, aware of doing through SEO, through a variety of other things. What are your thoughts, Bobby? Well, I tell you what, it, it makes you strongly consider the ad buy, you know? I mean, let's just be frank. I mean, we can do all the SEO we want. We can, we can make that site sticky as you know what, especially for a big system. But when it comes down to it, Google's really smart. They really put you in a position where you want to really buy up those keywords, especially when you're, when you're a hospital competing against other systems within your geographic area. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of stuck in these places where if you're – you know, Breast Cancer uh, Awareness Month is coming up, and you got three other systems in your zip code. How do you play that game? You know, right? So, so you've got to be quicker, smarter, faster, and you got to put money behind words. Interesting. Okay, well, something to consider mastering those micro moments. Uh, number two is visualization is becoming more important than ever. Um, and really to boil that down is the idea that folks are, you know, well, it's kind of that continuum. It, it, you guys jump in or correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, a picture is probably more engaging than straight copy. Uh, a video is more engaging than a picture, you know, kind of paradigm. Yeah, you've really got to invest. Bobby, you mentioned it earlier about, you know, folks need to invest in resources and, uh, you know, versus, you know, just, just tactics or media buying, you know, type stuff. And it says in here that, you know, YouTube registers more 18 plus, um, I guess, you know, audience during peak TV hours than any cable TV network. So you still have more people on YouTube uh, at any given hour, basically, than, uh, than anywhere else watching, you know, video content. This point makes me have job security. Let's just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is great um, for you. This yeah. is great. Uh, but it's hard, too, because... You know, you've got all these audiences that are doing so many different things with video content. And, you know, you've got to find a way to connect with each audience set. But people want visual stuff. They want eye candy. But you've got to make it so that it's not um, just a rolling billboard all the time, too. You know, we were talking offline a little bit about Gen Z. I've become extremely fascinated with this new um, audience set that's really um, getting a lot of major brands interested. And the biggest thing is how do you deliver content to this new population or existing population, they're true digital natives, that is powerful to get them to engage. And so uh, some of the things we're learning is, number one, is they love peer-to-peer, -peer, and that's why they love Snapchat. They love seeing themselves talk to each other. And they're very private about that but they love youtube just as much they love it because they are um a group of people that wants to learn how to do something very quickly and so they're on their how to's a lot on youtube mm -hmm. and so they are searching for content to fix something in their house or fix their cell phone or fix food or um, learn how to do a job that's really interesting to me. And so brands like Adidas have figured that out. They've got all their ads out, and they're showing a mixture of interesting video cuts with peer-to-peer -peer cell phone video. And it's fascinating because it shows that they are truly targeting this, uh, this group. But then you've got millennial moms that you know, consume uh, content in a different way on YouTube. They're looking to figure out how to um, make choices for their families, and they're using YouTube in the way that really teaches them how to, if the baby Brisa that's spitting out a bottle is not working, how do they fix it, you know? Um, how can they fix a, a really good meal very quickly for a growing family? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the, what's a quick recipe real quick that they can do and watch and then has a recipe with it? It's something to think through. It's not just about marketing and making flashy video. 
it's making video that's consumable that people want to sure. consume and engage with. Hey, so why why did Vine not work? <laughs> that's a good question. So I mean, that has nothing to do with this. Actually, it's probably counterintuitive to this point. Actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it just it was there wasn't enough of a differentiation between it and you know what everything else was at the time? I, I don't know. I you know don't want to get too terribly sidetracked on that. I just think it's an interesting. Well, interesting I have point. a theory about that. I mean, I think that it was a separate, its own separate destination. The other, the other problem with online, uh, online in general, is that there's so many different places where you can co- convene and coalesce audiences. And quite frankly, the audience didn't wasn't grown enough. There wasn't um, enough of that that's, that ability to build your communities around your friends the right way, segmented right. the way that Snapchat did. It wasn't really directly con- um, focused on a mobile audience, which is where a lot of the videos being created nowadays. So I think that you know those sure. some of those little factors just led to it just not not really working. I think too you've got you know YouTube being such a DIY source, right? And then you know as and I think what what has been helpful for YouTube is is the sense that as you're watching this video, there's a whole bunch of other ones over here, you know, that could be of resource. You know, so you end up and that's kind of how you end up in this. You know, you follow a track of videos you don't really remember where you started. You know, an hour before. You know, something that's interesting in this uh, article kind of circle back around. It talks about YouTube. Re- uh, registers more than 18 above uh, years old audience during peak TV hours. Um, that's a critical stat there because we have to be reminded that we're still um, a two screen audience. You know, we're sure. watching prime time and we're also, while we watch prime time, we're looking up what we're watching on prime time inside YouTube. A few years ago, Audi figured that out uh, during the Super Bowl and they were, they released their new car uh, and they, uh, put the video part of the video up on during the Super Bowl ad but forced people to go search for it and it blew it out and they're start, people or groups are starting to realize that they're going to embed stuff in time, inside primetime television that forces people to go to YouTube to to consume more because they want to learn where to buy that how to do that how to fix that how to be a part of that and that's that's a huge opportunity for brands, especially healthcare brands, to, to leverage that opportunity. You know, and that ties in a little bit to this whole the whole concept of the six second at, uh, videos that YouTube is putting a challenge out. Have you heard about this, Bobby? Where they no. they actually okay, so YouTube actually said to these ad agencies that they wanted to create the best stories, video stories to be told in a six second YouTube bumper ads. Because, you know, those are the ads that start at the beginning of the videos of YouTube or whatever. And they say, how do we tell that six second story? And they put out this challenge and um, we'll link to this in the show notes as well. But the whole point here is to capture a six second story is really hard to do. You can't do a whole ad in six stories. But what they're trying to do now is put together sort of a creative framework around how you could capture people's attention and lead them to do the next action, this non-sequential micro-moment approach to video. And it's uh, just really fascinating. So some of the things they came up with is you have to tell, think of your story like a joke. Like it's, it's, it has a sequential, like a punchline. Make it really short to the point, make it simple, make it easy, um, understand that content that's engaging will lead people to take action and to consume more content. So I think it's really fascinating. We'll put a link out to it. Um, it's called the Six Second Challenge. Yeah, back to Vine. What, wouldn't Vine six seconds? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'll tell you from a brand perspective, and then we'll move on from Vine. I mean, you would think I'm like a Vine brand advocate. I don't know that I've ever actually even used it, but I believe it was Lowe's used to do it. And it was like the fix in six or whatever. And they would like, you know, have these little snippets of these little animated spots where it would show you some like DIY hack, you know, kind of a thing in six seconds. And I was like, oh, okay, well that's, you know, that's, that's really, and they would do something around Christmas lights, you know, at that time of year. And anyway, I just always thought that was a good use case, but. Uh, all right, so number three in the list, uh, best visibility with native ads. Um, th- thoughts on native ads? Well, I happen to think native ads are just a natural extension of advertising. Now, we all know what native ads are, right? Native ads are advertisements that are placed to be 
look contextually native to that content. Uh, New York Times does a really good job of, of putting in native advertising, and they have a really sophisticated native advertising platform. But the point here is, is you're creating content that is sort of like an advertorial, but also sort of like a news item. And you might even want to say hashtag fake news here. But you know what it is, is it actually appears on all these other sites where there's other content and your native ad appears aligned into that as recommended content or a sponsored listing. And then what, what it does is that, you know, it allows for people to that are looking for other things to maybe serendipitously with a little bit of paid behind it, find your content. So I think it's actually pretty effective if done right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a place for it. I, you know, it is the digital version of what I consider an advertorial to be, which is the print, you know, something in a magazine or newspaper or what have you that is more of a news article, but you're paying for placement, basically. Mm -hmm. And so that's really all this is. You know, it's not, you know, necessarily, at least I don't think of it in the sense that it's, you know, a, your brand TV spot, you know, just placed somewhere. That's, to me, just digital advertising. So um, this is something a little bit different. You mentioned uh, the New York Times. I think there's other, obviously, big news-style organizations that benefit from this and, and have a better... You know, I guess a better way to roll it out and manage it. Um, right. Well, and you see it also happening. I, I'm not sure if you heard some of the stories about these large corporate companies that are now buying the small native uh, television news channels, and they're rolling in sponsored content as part of the news programming that's going on. I mean, it, when you think about it, trying to get some kind of like corporate ad or some kind of sponsored advertisement as to be perceived as being real or as part of that natural search for content. That, that's where native advertisement is going to play. And um, I think that maybe the reason why Bobby is so quiet is because there's a little bit of a, I don't know, creepiness about it. Is that right, Bobby? Is that how you're thinking? Okay, there's two ways to think about it. One is native ads in, in my world of video mm -hmm. or mo motion. You've got to be nimble. You just can't make an, a video native ad and just let it run for six months and just say, oh, that did pretty good. We tracked the clicks and we'd see what we get. <laughs> you know, you've got to be extremely smart with your placement and the way that you present the media. Um, and what I mean by that is the groups that are doing it really, really well place really good native ads through video if they use video. And they do it in a way that seems like it's very integrated and part of the narrative. And they're tracking not only how the, play, the, the ad's being clicked, but really how much the audience is consuming of that video ad. If they're cutting a 14-second video and people are only getting to six, and past the six there's a call to action, you need to redo that thing. So you have to watch it, and you have to watch it in real time and to see how the audiences interact with it. And so that kind of really starts making you think about how you can really implement really rich content as native ads. The second thing I think about, um, kind of the creepy part of this, is kind of augmented reality type thing. You know, where the idea is you can walk inside of a, an airport and all these display ads that are around you that typically were just posters are now, you know, LED ads. Mm -hmm. And they're changing based on they see your phone from a GPS position and they know you're, you're what you like to look at. They see you coming and they roll an ad out uh -oh. right as you walk by. So if they know you like Coca-Cola, they're going to pop a Coca-Cola up. Mm -hmm. Those types of augmented opportunities are starting to get really weird and creepy. Or rolling down the road and, you know, you go past a CVS and it pops up the location thing and says, hey, we got a deal, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. right when you ride by. So that's the creepy part of it is kind of weird, but it's based on us being digitally connected to the content and items as consumers as well. Well, I'm going to throw a wrench into the works here, though, because you guys probably heard that um, Apple's new Safari browser was put out there and uh, they are preventing all ad tracking in their in their browser through their browser and in fact they're going to probably start locking that up on their entire device so now apple iphones are becoming kind of locked out from all third-party advertising tracking at least that's kind of the intention that they're going for that all the predictors are and uh why do you think that's happening 
So they can build their own ad That's network. right. That's right. Yes. Right? Yes. So now... Because they want, they want your ad dollar. So if you want to reach somebody on an iPhone, then you're going to be hamstrung. It's just like the, it's just the same thing as the App Store or iTunes or whatever, but for advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know that that's all bad necessarily. I mean, I like it as a consumer. Now, as a business professional that does this... It's gonna make it's gonna make it a little bit harder, or or maybe it, maybe it's job security, kind of like we talked about earlier, you know, with Bobby with the video piece. But I don't know. Well, it kind of dovetails in the next uh, tip, doesn't it, Reed? Yeah. So um, very much so, actually. So number four, say yes to personalized and consumer centric content. Uh, you know, we Chris and I have talked in previous episodes about marketing automation, uh, personalization, things like that, and so. The, the long short of it is is you know put things very very relevant to those individuals in front of them and you're likely to have higher engagement right well that's that's the theory right um, you put information that's unique to them that's of their interest and they will tend to pay attention to it they will tend to respond to it so arguably what we were talking about before with the native advertising Bobby the stuff that creeps you out is actually could be called personalized advertising don't you think absolutely I mean think about it. Why do you think that hospitals are investing in uh, patient portals? Do we think eventually that a patient portal is ultimately might replace your typical uh, front-facing hospital website? Because really, you you log in to see your records. You get they know what you want. It's all you know customer patient centric. They can roll out ads and information and blog posts right there. It's more of a customer journey versus I want to go to, to the main website dot whatever and go find the new blog post. Mm-hmm. It's more of I'm going to go get what I need and I'm going to give you more of it. And as I track you clicking through, I'm going to keep on giving you more. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I heard a, a chief marketing officer at a large hospital just recently say that his CRM is his EMR. That they're actually using hmm. now. That now hmm. to be to be clear, he also then quickly said, because of HIPAA, we don't advertise that aggressively to patients. But yeah. well, he, he was quick to throw that asterisk out. <laughs> exactly. Huh? Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, I think that there is something to that for sure, certainly. But I also think, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, you see the state of the state of patient portals today, Bobby. You know, they're they're nowhere near anything like that engaging and they don't have that logic built into it when we're talking about personalization i think what we're talking about though is creating also automation tools so that we can communicate to people at the right times at the times that they want we can understand their preferences we can start putting stuff together that actually helps people to get quicker to their information as close as possible they gave a good example here about person navigating a website Um, you know you want to communicate to them it would be different than a message running for an existing customer if it's a new visitor right new versus old and um, yeah maybe maybe the patient portal will be able to expose that information to the website but I don't know I'm not sure if that we're there yet well but I think there's ways that we can be there as it relates to our other marketing efforts right so mm-hmm. if you've got ways that you can measure and understand that people have arrived at the website because of something you did mm-hmm. you know an ad uh, you know a post on Facebook whatever um, or if you simply know they're coming from those websites, should you alter where they land and or what they're seeing when they arrive at your website? Because we're still bad about just shipping people to the homepage. Mm-hmm. Or even when we do build landing pages, are we building one specific to different executions? So we know we're going to run paid Facebook. We know we're going to run you know, AdWords, maybe some display, I don't know, whatever the scenarios are, should you have different landing pages, for example, for each of those um, those audience, because you know where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. I say yes, yes, and yes, because you can test, test, and test. Mm, sure. I mean, really, think about it. We live in a world where we can spin these things up pretty quickly in an automated world to learn how these audiences come from a Facebook ad, a Google AdWord, whatever it may be, come to your landing page, and if it doesn't work, we dump it and try again. That's the joy of this automation thing. But I definitely think that um, the hospitals that are being progressive are the ones that recognize that people are coming to their website from social, from AdWords, whatever, 
come with intention. Mm-hmm. And if they don't deliver them to the place that they want very quickly, they jump, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so we've got to become smarter and smarter yep. in the way that we personalize and automate even more and more. I think the message is just continue to look at what you're doing. How do you make that more personalized? Well, you know, whether you have marketing automation or not, that's not really the point. But how can you be more strategic and thoughtful for how you're creating messaging? Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast. I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. All right, so uh, number five, uh, this is an interesting one, and one we, I think, claim we like to do or would like to try to do, but probably don't do very well, which is raise a team of influencers. Yes. Because we still talk about, and and it's true, it's why we talk about it, I guess, but that word of mouth is still probably the most effective form of, of advocacy, certainly, but, you know, of advertising. So if you can get people talking in a positive way about you, um, you know, whether that be to other live human beings in real life, IRL, do we still say that? Is that you still, do. Is that still cool? <laughs> Um, but you know, you know, obviously that's the, where it started, right. was people going home and telling their neighbors, but you know, how do we, um, you know, transform people that currently use, you know, our services or involved with our brands? How, how do they become influencers once they have a good relationship with us? You know, Reed, we've, you've talked about this a lot before, which is one stakeholder audience that we always tend to forget as marketers are the people that actually work at our hospitals. And those Amen. And those people Amen. are your biggest influencers. I mean, if you think about it, you know, I know when I worked for a hospital system, I was like the the biggest, the biggest influencer. I would talk about how great we are, etc. Of course, I was in marketing, but that's beside the point. I mean, you know, it's like <laughs> or people that work at an organization, they actually see the value that they have. And that the organization is providing to the uh, community, they are they could be very much um, I don't want to say harvested, but they could be raised to become a team of influencers, so to speak. Don't get me on my my little soapbox. I'm getting ready to get fired up here. <laughs> All the hospitals I talk to that are scared to open up access. That's one of the biggest issues we deal with, is opening access inside of a system to social. You know how it is. We sit here and we. We try to talk through leadership on it comes down to training and education. But at the end of the day, that is the greatest opportunity to leverage and access your greatest brand influencers inside of a system. If you have a medium-sized system, you got 10,000 employees, that is 10,000 voices to an exponential point of reach. At the end of the day, these these individuals are walking through the halls and they're using their LTE service on their phone to access social anyway. Why not be a part of the game? And so I, I'm 100% about engaging the employee, giving them purpose, and giving them a reason why to engage. But why aren't we doing it more? I'm scared. It's not even just like social access. Even when you have access to social, at the few health systems that I did, when they did open up social access, it was like we didn't even do a concerted effort to actually reach out to employees. And whenever we're doing like some kind of uh, you know promotion or a marketing campaign or something, one of the biggest things I say is like we need to promote this internally before we actually promote it to the to the to the public because all of these people could be out there talking about it driving more eyeballs that's word of mouth that's a very natural way to do sort of this influencer marketing 
But how do you get hospitals to move past service line marketing and uh, community awareness into internal focused, employee-based marketing? I mean, let's think about it. The dollars lead us down places that we we truly want to go. When we think about going to employees, we think about LDRs, right? As opposed to, you know, social influence marketing. So I think there's a, you have to kind of hope that the organization can step back a little bit and say, okay, let's rethink this a little bit. If the greatest opportunity is inside our walls, how much more can we leverage it, especially under a crisis mode? You know, yeah. if you've got a crisis hitting your hospital, who are the greatest people to talk best about you are your employees. Mm-hmm. And so how do you activate them? Well, you can't activate them if you don't have access to them, you know? Well, I just, I don't think it's sexy enough. You know, I don't think um, you're not going to run a TV spot or radio campaigns or brand messaging and all that stuff to employees. And that's what organizations want to do, think about doing, feel like they should be doing. When all, in all likelihood, you should be investing back in that internal message. Um, but you're still going to get, you know, hit with, you know, people in the community saying, you know, well, we don't ever see your ads. Uh, you run this weird line of, you know, why are we advertising um, and who are we advertising to? You know, what the what the end goal is, you know, et cetera. So um, reaching those internal employees isn't going to, you know, keep the physicians out of your office that want to know where the billboards are, right? Well, that's another influencer audience for you there that we have. We don't really target a lot. I know some organizations are now spending time segmenting their different audiences and, and actually doing a concerted effort to make to reach out to all of those audiences when they're out there doing some kind of uh, you know promotion awareness be it, or a service line or patient acquisition whatever it may be and you have to communicate to those different audiences different ways but to actually just get that word out to let people know we talked about this last week read around crisis communication if there's a crisis going on you have to let people in your organization know that you know that this crisis is going on and how they have to respond you should be doing the same thing with marketing that's something else. Um, it's become very apparent to me when I became a, a patient when we had our twins. And, um, you know, we spent 28 days in a NICU and we built relationships with the employees. How can you not build relationships with nurses, right? And one of the hardest things to hear was that the system did not allow the patient and that nurse to have social media communication. So you leave, you know, these nurses that basically help raise your children for 28 days, and then you leave and you can't have contact with them. Mm-hmm. What a huge missed opportunity mm-hmm. where there could be a, a true n- connection point there with the system, between the system and the pe- family, to re-engage them in a way to get them back to use their services. And so um, I look at that, and that's I take that case study back to the people we work with and say, how can we bridge that gap? How can we build better online relational opportunities through digital rounding so that the patients and the providers can have rich conversations when they leave the hospital? Yeah, because in healthcare, I mean, people are advocating for other people. They're not advocating for a brand. You know, they're advocating based on their experience, how they were treated, et cetera. So that's interesting. That's an interesting point. Um, kind of bleeds into the next one a little bit, uh, or can, I guess, maybe should is the better way to say it. <laughs> but number six is investment in content developers. We don't want them to invest too much because we we, <laughs> we still need to be able to create content, right? So. No, I think uh, this is an interesting one. Bobby can certainly weigh in on. Uh, but we, we look at the end of the chain typically when we're doing marketing efforts. And so we're looking at keyword research and ad buys and, you know, even, um, you know, design comps and, you know, and all those types of things and not the actual content itself. Well, so I think one of the reasons why it's hard for hospitals to invest in content developers, whether internal or external, is because it is truly an investment. Those individuals have to truly know the brand messaging all the way down to the core before they can write, produce, create content that's meaningful. When I think about working with a system or a a client for the first time, sometimes it takes a year just to get into their DNA you know, to really know how to write the voice and understand the audiences and 
really know how to create content in a way that's meaningful. And so the investment doesn't yield immediate return. It takes a while to get people ingrained in the DNA and get them so well versed that they are that they're creating content in parallel with the audience consumption. That's the biggest thing. It's not mm-hmm. a like we're going to just create content and hope people consume it. You you create content to develop voice. Voice allows you to connect and once you connect with audience you create interactivity and once you have interactivity you write with the audience as they engage with you on social. And so that's a tough thing to to really bite down, but if you if you truly invest then the all you got to do is deploy distribution models and you can deploy content like it's crazy. But you got to be willing to invest in good people that are willing to learn your 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 DNA and are willing to create content that's meaningful, that's interactive. If that makes any sense whatsoever. It does. I thought I thought you just pressed the viral button. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what you're talking to about this investment, this concept of an investment, and it's so challenging for hospitals to look at this as an investment, it, I think it boils up to something much higher, um, which is that a lot of times people still mis- mistake hospital marketing as being really hospital advertising or promotional in nature. And they're really interested in like short-term bursts of campaigns that go out into the market and that yield some kind of result after like a three to six month effort. They're not looking at that long-term play. The, the mindset is starting to shift a little bit, particularly as more people from outside of the healthcare industry come in and start to understand the strategies you know, behind this. But you know, quite frankly, it's really hard for the majority of a healthcare system to look at a long-term investment if they don't see some ROI that they could track in the budget and you know, by the time the next year rolls around. So with that in mind, you know, what recommendations can we make to people that are looking at their plan, their budgets on how to invest in, in maybe content marketing, content creation that may not have a meaningful impact against marketing goals and strategies next year? I say you start small. You don't grow big because if you go big, then you can go, you can go down the drain pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You pick a service line or you pick something that is meaningful and you invest small and you decide what content channels you really want to focus and then you invest in those content developers and those content developers are going to be individuals that are true brand journalists there are individuals that are willing to come in and tell all sides of the story as the brand sees the story and tell that narrative in a way that truly exposes the audience into a new way of thinking and so you start small and you say, hey, let's pick, let's pick maternity or let's pick bariatric. And we're going to put content behind that. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend the first three months developing narrative. What does it look like? We're going to spend the next three months deploying content and testing. And then we're going to look at how that content interacted with the audience. And then we're going to iterate and develop more and listen better until we start using organic content um, in tandem with paid content to reinforce search so that when you get that keyword and you click and something pops up there is a native article that represents that information we're talking about automation here again Mm -hmm. where it all works together so that the organic really good content is credibility that's really what you want you want to give credibility to the purchasing decision that makes a good point. And it's like kind of that, that adage of a uh, path of a thousand steps begins with one. If you just start a little bit at a time to get there, you know, that you could do this one, show that it works, and then you can, you know, move on to the next, move on to the next. But does that, does that actually play out in pragmatic reality in hospital systems? <laughs> it depends on your size. Exactly. <laughs> it depends on your size. But, you know, some of these community hospitals are a lot, a lot more nimble, too. You know? Oh, absolutely, they're, they are. They're, they're willing to take a little bit of a chance because they have an opportunity. They've, yeah, they, their budget isn't that great, but they can, they can move some dollars away some, from something else and take, take an opportunity. Whereas when you're in a big institutional organization, it's hard for them to shift dollars. It's going to be more ROI-driven. Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to want to see immediate return. So... 
Um, you've got to really be strategic when you make those recommendations, whether it's a big or system or a community-based system. Uh, all great stuff. Uh, finally, to wrap this up, number seven is um, you know where we should we should probably do this throughout the process, obviously, but uh, convert with the right data. So back to data measurement. You know how do we know it worked? Uh, they even mentioned big data, which I was hoping we wouldn't have to mention the <laughs> article by name. <laughs> but is actually looking at, um, you know, what do you have access to? What do you have available? And then how do you understand, you know, as you've gone down this uh, process, you know, um, what's working? What do you do more of, not do more of, et cetera? Well, maybe what we could do is I'd like to ask all of our listeners that work in a hospital to do a pledge. It's a twofold pledge. Number one, if you don't have CRM, can you pledge to try to put that in your budget this year? Because CRM is actually a really good way that you could actually start to measure this sort of thing. Um, but then that comes with a corollary secondary pledge, which is if you have a CRM, will you please start using it the right way? What the, the point of this conversation or this point is here is that you want to use data to give you insights into how things are working and sometimes things don't work well you don't have to hide the fact that things don't work well you just want to use that to improve and optimize and those things that work really well sure trumpet that all around the organization how great you're doing but then try to apply those learnings to other ways that you're measuring your efforts because quite frankly i think we have a weird way of measuring right now well, even if we if we are measuring, yeah, I, I think a lot of it just goes back to um, you know before you do anything, be real clear, make sure everybody is on the same page around what success looks like. So, if success is simply um, something volume oriented, you know, we want to grow this, or um, you know, we want to be seen at this event. Or whatever it is, we want to simply support the community. Fine, but just make sure everybody's on the same page around what success is. And so, when we start talking about marketing campaigns, especially service line marketing campaigns, uh, that's when it gets a little hairier. Around, um, well, we want more patience. Okay, well, you know, now you've asked for something that I can't measure. You know, potentially. Um, unless we have some of these systems put into place. And I will go one step further to say, you know, if you don't have a CRM and you're going to put a CRM in place, please make sure you have someone who knows how to use it and will use it on a regular basis. Because we're real bad, obviously, about just buying new technology. Yeah, I'm as a content person and a creative, I love data. I mean, I just love it. I, I love it so much. <laughs> And the reason why is, one, I'm kind of a data geek. I, you know, my, ma- my undergrad was mathematics. Mm. I have a um, minor in statistics. And then I got creative and went to a creative uh, master's degree program. But to say that, I love thinking through content in a logical fashion. If we're going to deploy, what do we, what, how do we term success? before we start right and let's write down what that looks like and it could be three points and as you measure success success doesn't mean that everything has to work to your point chris it's that let's look through all the pieces that we're deploying and let's figure out what is working and discard what isn't and understand why it didn't work and then really really leverage the opportunity of success when there is something that's working really well then you've got to learn to double down on it and go after it and leverage that as opportunity. So data should be used in a way that's very insightful, to y'all's point, but also very methodical. It's it's looking at it as an opportunity to learn and to iterate and get better. Yeah. They say here, they have some stats here I think that are worth reading. And uh, they say that highly data-oriented enterprises are three times more likely to improve their decision-making processes. Now, that's not a new stat for healthcare. They know that, you know, in the clinical side, if they're measuring their clinical pathways and they're and they're using data to drive decisions, that they're going to become more effective in their decision-making processes. We need to apply that to the marketing communication side of the house. We need to start you know, aligning our, our efforts around that. I think that that's, a, that's something that we're, we're a very measurable 
organization. Let's use measurement for our purposes in the future. Well, this was um, <clears throat> a great, uh, great article. Not that there's not other things that you shouldn't be considering for 2018, right. but um, this is this is obviously at a higher level than just simply saying, "Well, let's you know we're going to advertise on Instagram next year, mm-hmm. you know, whatever." So. Um, I think this is great. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, and I uh, would love any feedback or other things, hear from you on other things that you may be uh, focusing on in 2018. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Touch point, touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! All right, now we're in the touchpoint, touch counterpoint segment of the podcast. And since we have a third voice, we may want to rename this touchpoint, touch counterpoint, touch counter counterpoint, or something like that. Not sure exactly <laughs> how we would do that, um, but this will be interesting. And uh, Reed made a good point when we were going into this to say, you know, we're, we can't really take opposite sides of an ar- sides of an argument here. So wh- what we're going to do is we're going to argue of those seven trends that we just discussed. Which ones do we each individually feel is the most important and uh, for organizations to put into their strategic planning for 2018? And since, Bobby, you are our guest, why don't we let you go first? Man. Okay, here we go. First on the list is... Drum roll, please. We're going to go with Master the Micro Moments. Now, we talked about how this relates to Google and their Micro Moments concept. I'm going to kind of turn it around a little bit. I'm more of a Micro Moment type person. Um, I like to get groups to really think in terms of a long-term strategy and not put everything in one real fail swoop. When you create a campaign, when you create a video, when you create a bunch of stuff, everybody just wants to create one thing and move on to the next. I say you got to be more in tune with the micro moments. How can you create little pieces of content over a period of time to slowly engage people over periods of time and test them through that process? It leads to good automation. It leads to good content focus. It leads to good data. It leads to strategy, and it gives you something to go back and report to uh, to your higher ups and let them continue to pay the ch- paychecks. Not so fast. That's kind of my. It's like a. I feel like Lee Corso. I should have a pencil. Somebody have a pencil. Um, I would say, uh, you know, not that they're not all important. That's not, again, that's not what we're saying here. But uh, I think the most uh, impactful one on the list is number five, which is raise a team of influencers. So, uh, again, hundreds, if not thousands, of people work at your organization, getting them all on the same page and uh, beating the drum and then in unison. Uh, I, I, you know, it doesn't matter what you do from a marketing perspective, quite honestly, at that point. Um, I, I think if, if somebody was able to do that and pull that off, and the more effectively that you're able to do that and pull it off, I can guarantee you that uh, you're going to drown out the competition relative to just uh, pure word of mouth. Well, I think it's really nice that you two guys think that those are the most important uh, top tips. And I think they would be pretty important as long as you implement the most important tip, which is convert with the right data. You need to use data to understand the effectiveness both of your influencer marketing strategies as well as your micro-moment strategies. So, you know, I think it's great. I obviously agree, you know, these tips are really great, but number seven is the uber tip of the entire pack here because you don't know what you're doing if you're not measuring the effectiveness of what you're doing or else, you know, it may not Uh. work. What oh, you're shocker. just mad what that they shocker. made mine number one. 
In majors number yeah. seven. <laughs> big, big shocker that Chris picked the measurement one. Yeah. Yeah. I can hear the ukulele now. No, I still, I still, I still think you, it doesn't. You're not gonna. It doesn't matter. You're not gonna have anything to measure if you don't get the organization on the same page and moving in the same direction. So, uh, eventually, you can't outspend your reputation and the word of mouth that you're creating. So you've got to get people, get people on the same page. Mm-hmm. Sure. And you have to measure the effectiveness of you doing that. So, I totally agree. Which you can't do until you do mine first. <laughs> Is this the chicken versus egg scenario right here? Y'all are still mad at mine was number one. That's all I have to say. Mine's number one. (laughs) You know, they're all All they're all related and they're important. Read and you know, this is where we converge towards the end, right? Where everything gets together. They all are related and they converge together because, quite frankly, you need to be doing a little bit of all of this as you're moving into 2018. And you know, we're not saying that you have to throw away your entire you know billboard strategy for next year, though. Please do. Please throw it away. Keep that money for something better. But if you have to you know go into these as bobby said earlier you know do it and start small and learn and grow because these are important strategies for the future and when you do your your year-long strategy session take the calendar and don't think in terms of every breast cancer month heart month this month that month maybe flip it up and just do more micro moments and pick one thing and do it throughout the year and apply it to all those months and then you measure it there you go. That's great advice. And that concludes our, our first ever three-person touch point, touch counterpoint, counter touch point, point. Point. All right. Well, so this wraps up another well-rounded episode, episode 35. Uh, lots of great things going on. Chris and I, of course, uh, and the entire Touchpoint podcast team. I don't know that there's anybody else besides me and Chris. But <laughs> anyway, we'll be at the Healthcare Internet Conference in Austin, Texas, October the 23rd through the 25th, where we'll be uh, recording an episode in front of a live studio audience on that Tuesday afternoon. So watch for that if you have not signed up. Mm-hmm. Do so at hcic.net. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly after that, I will actually be presenting some data and some findings at the Mississippi Hospital Association at their annual conference. So uh, a little bit more about that if you're at a hospital in mississippi i will be coming your way and hopefully you'll be uh you'll be at that uh, conference at the first part of november and uh let's let's roll into a few uh a few recommendations chris you want to kick us off? well before we do read there's one other important uh thing that's coming up that you know i think we need to tell the audience so uh as they're listening to this i am going to be on my honeymoon because i would have gotten married on september 30th you know as you guys are listening to this hopefully or you know expectantly i will be flying in a helicopter over the grand canyon with my new wife so call and tweet chris continually (laughs) as you hear this so yeah so we'll jump into some recommendations oh and one more thing uh obviously you know thanks uh bobby for joining us and uh coming in hanging out for a bit uh we will talk more about this on future episodes but look for a special podcast that'll be launching before too terribly long from bobby around content storytelling and um you know a little bit of behind the scenes and a little bit more about some of the stories that have been told in hospitals so looks to be interesting and again i'm just teasing that a little bit but uh, should be something kind of fun coming down the pipe that will uh, keep everybody up to speed on mm-hmm. um okay so recommendations i'll go first my recommendation yeah. is uh i've been as you know as you lead up to a wedding you're gonna you write a lot of things down you're gonna be writing thank you notes and things like that I actually have a pen that I've been using recently that is the Pentel Arts Pocket Pocket Brush Pen. Now, it's like an old-fashioned ink pen with a little cartridge insert that you can put into it. It actually writes like you are writing calligraphy, and my handwriting's 
almost as bad as a doctor when I write, but in this particular case, using this pen, it just makes me feel like I am one of the most awesomest calligraphers ever. It's the Pentel Pocket Brush Pen. I highly recommend it if you ever want to get back to that old fountain pen kind of feeling, you know, where you dip it in ink and you have that little tiny metal tip there. This is the one to use. Uh, I am going to recommend um, an actual app slash website. So uh, to keep up with all the different blogs and different uh, places you should subscribe, for those that have not tried it out, Feedly is a uh, great way to do that and makes it very easy to make your way through, make notes, and create all kinds of different consumable ways to you know, capture and keep up with content. So check out Feedly.com. There's obviously a free version of that. Just a very clean way, and I like the app a lot, very clean way to be able to flip through articles each and every day. So mm-hmm. that is mine. Um, Bobby, what do you got? So my favorite new gadget right now, I just got it in the mail just about a month ago. It is the Kodak Orbit 360 camera. It's a camera that has two lenses on either a lens on either side. It's like a... A GoPro with a lens on the other side, and it does 360 pictures and video. It's kind of cool. Nice. It allows you, it has an app built into it so that you can set it out in your yard and watch it on your phone. It will download the video instantly or the pictures into your phone, and you can post them. It's already got the 360 code built into it, so when you upload that video or picture into Facebook or YouTube, it automatically makes it 360, so you can let your people kind of scroll around and play with it. So, cool little camera, cool stuff. And it's, it's not too expensive either, is it? No, it's like 500 bucks. That's not bad at all. Shoots a beautiful picture you could too. Snap that onto your drone and just fly it all around your neighborhood. We are actually <laughs> in the process. We have two drones, and one of them we are building it so that we can pop it on the bottom. And pop up in the air and see if we can take 360 pictures of downtown Anderson, South Carolina. Wow. Kind of cool. Wow. There you go. He gets he gets all the cool toys. Yeah, he does. All the yep. cool toys. Well, thank you again for listening and tuning in. You can find us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Just uh, please rate, review, tell a friend. We would certainly appreciate that. He is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. And for Bobby Ratu, we appreciate uh, you tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.